Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is a man who many of us might well feel we've grown up with. He's been on our screens and in our ears for the best part of three decades. He was working in a hardware shop cutting panels of wood when he was scouted as a model at the clothes show live. And he quickly found himself heading to the capital to work and then getting into children's TV. And of course, eventually T4, which is where he really became a household name. He is, of course, Vernon Kaye. Since then, he's presented dozens of shows, including Family Fortunes, and is a regular on BBC Radio 2. His other half, of course, is Tess Daly as well, so theirs is a long-lasting showbiz marriage. We had such an interesting chat, and like all the best chats, it went in a totally different direction to that which I was expecting. We talked about what it means to be content and whether or not he's there yet, and why he's such a big expert on the menopause and the state of modern masculinity. I won't tell you anymore, you're going to have to listen but make sure you listen long enough to hear why he once wore a vest made of sanitary pads hey vernon how are you i'm very good thanks gabs yeah really good annoyingly when i mentioned that i wanted to have you on midpoint and we wanted to see whether we could arrange that um the person i mentioned it to said oh no you can't because he's too young i said what are you talking about he's 48 years old (laughs) and uh she was in her late 30s so i thought actually she was probably a major fan of t4 and in her head you've never grown up that's apart from the fact that you look unfeasibly young (laughs) do you get that quite a lot from people do they kind of keep you in a certain period of life yeah i think the reason for that is because everything i did was over a period of i'd say about 10 years so through that 10 year period if you started watching me at the age of 10 you then went through your 20s you know and when we did splash and family fortunes and all that kind of stuff and it's 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 obvious in the way that people talk to you as well people kind of think that you're well and it's a beautiful thing don't get me wrong but people just start mid-conversation instead of hi are you vernon kerr it's just like, hey, how are you? Is everything all right? <laughs> like, it's like, like they know you because I've been, I, I, I guess, in people's front rooms since '98, I think it was. Well, you've grown up. They've grown up with you, haven't they? If they did T4 as well, and then you did the more grown-up TV stuff. I guess they've grown up with you. They've had families when you've had families. You know, not families. You've got the one family, yeah. <laughs> children, and you know, I, I suppose they feel like you're kind of maturing at the same rate as them. Yeah, I guess so. And it's it's a re- you know we're going on this life journey together. That's what it is. Because when we did T4, June and I, we literally felt like we had the world at our feet. It was the most amazing TV show to be involved with. And then prior to that, I did kids television. So that was kind of getting used to the ropes of, of live telly and you know, the intricacies of, of how you talk to people, really, and, and what skill and an art form that actually is. And then with T4, we were just, we just were living the dream. I mean, I guess these days we were the equivalent of, I guess, social influencers without the digital nonsense mm-hmm. that we, we were bombarded with today. And, you know, we had the, the actors, we had the music artists, we had those people who had something to say on the show on a regular basis. And it was at a time, Sunday morning, where people are most vulnerable, and that's why I think we got away with murder because people were either 
hungover, stoned, going to work, couldn't be bothered. And in that mentality of just bombard me with stuff, with useless stuff, and that's what we did. And also, they didn't have the they didn't have the social media platforms to tell you that you were either offending them or they yeah <laughs> they couldn't you know they couldn't be bothered to listen to you. So they just sat there and absorbed it. Yeah, if they didn't like it, they just turned off. They just didn't watch. And and it was a period where T four was <laughs> was literally in its boom period. And I, and I think it, I think personally that a show like that is is seriously missed today because we are bombarded by all these characters mm. who you only see for 30 seconds at their best. And that's the problem with digital media is everyone looks sexy, everyone's successful, no one's failed, uh, and we don't get to see that. And that's the, the big thing that I learned when I did I'm a Celebrity was that we are bombarded by absolute nonsense and we consume it and we think it's great. And mm. I think that's that's a huge flaw in the way that we are as a society today is that we are taking on board all this garbage and we think it means something, whereas it actually doesn't. Mm. The only thing that matters in your life is what's between your four walls, like you and your family. And that's the most important thing, not someone's pasta salad with a bit of avocado and chili sprinkles on it. That doesn't <laughs> matter. But, you know, that's... And, and going back to T4, we, we were, I guess... I guess we were that, you know, everything was great on T4. Uh, behind the scenes, there were a few ups and downs, but it was great. It was really good fun. Just to kind of dissect a bit of what you said there, I totally agree with what you're saying. I wonder if some of that is because people are just so confused in modern life for various reasons. And, you know, we've got this bombardment of serious news, which people get in snippets. They don't really deep dive into any stories at all. Or then they align themselves in an echo chamber of one side of a story. They don't really ever hear both sides of the story. The attention spans because of social media mean that people want everything in bite-sized chunks and they seem to think then they've got to grips with the story. It's almost like skim reading life, isn't it? Never really actually going through the whole paragraph. Is it reversible? do you think, this trend? Because what you talk about there on Saturday morning or Sunday morning telly and Saturday morning telly too, we grew up, didn't we, with those, whether it was Swap Shop, depending on your age, um, Live and Kicking. Saturday Superstore um, as well, and then Tis Wars. Saturday Superstore, you know, all those, uh, Tis Wars before that, all those shows. Our kids haven't even grown up with that, let alone, you know, younger kids now. And those were so important, I think, those shows for children and and how they then found interests or what their passions were or how they you know because those shows weren't just flighty were they they had tackled some serious issues as well yeah we did we talked about mental health we talked about alcoholism drug addiction we talked about uh teenage pregnancies on a regular basis on t4 so we were aware we did feel like we were in touch with our audience but we only got that essence of what our audience was about by actually going out and 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 chatting to them, mm. but I think this, I think this day and age, I think we're all searching for perfection. I think and perfection doesn't exist. It, 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 I believe it doesn't exist. You can be the best, or you can do the best that you can do, but it will never be perfect. Mm. You know, I don't have anything against the search for perfection, but I think it's a train journey that never ever ends. And the mm. the, the one thing that I've learned is that train can stop when you become content. Mm. Contentment is huge and it takes a very brave person to stop and go, right, I am content. I don't need any more because I've found happiness in what I have and what I've earned. And do you think modern society values that? No, absolutely not. I think, I, I think it's overlooked. I think someone who is content, and I, and I don't think contentment is happiness. 
those two run in parallels, but it's not the mm. same thing. I think someone, if you look at, let's say, for example, what's going on at the moment, the government have decided to give wealthy people a tax cut and then done a U-turn. Why do that bracket of people want more? You have the most money in the country. You're part of that, what is it, 1% or 2%. But mm-hmm. yet the government are giving you the opportunity to gain more money. Why? Mm-hmm. What do you need? What are you searching for if you've got billions and billions, hundreds of millions of pounds? Where does your contentment end or start? Can anybody be content? I think they can, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of people who talk like they've found contentment. And John Caldwell, do you know you know John Caldwell, yeah, the yeah, guy who set yeah, up the yeah, mobile yeah. phone company? I mean, he's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's not searching anymore. He's become no, but a th- philanthropist. Is that because he's a billionaire? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're but living in a two-bedroom flat in Newcastle, and you've got three kids, and you're a single parent, and you're living off state benefits. Can you find contentment as easily as John Caldwell? Here's the rub, though. He's found it because he's worked hard for it, and he's gone out and sought it, and he's gone and grafted. And yeah, you know, he had a windfall with selling his company and this that. But he said, right, I don't need any more. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas other other multi-billionaires would go, well, hang on a minute. I do because I'm greedy and I want more. Mm. But I, I think what you're saying there is someone who lives in a two up, two down with a with a telly and goes to work every day. Absolutely, you can find contentment. 100%. Anyone can find it. It's just how hungry you are, in my opinion. And I don't know, I'm not a psychologist. It's how much do you want or how much do you think you need to be content? And I think contentment is huge. Can, can you still, though, carry on being ambitious for yourself and searching for projects and things that you enjoy doing and say well I'm content but my contentment actually comes from finding out more about myself exploring it's not about being still is it because your contentment sounds quite static what I'm saying is is you get to that place with contentment in my opinion where the hunger for success and that little devil inside you that you know because everyone says what's the phrase you can be a gentleman at the dinner table and a bastard in business It's when that pressure kind of is released off your shoulders to go searching and finding for success. Mm. My my dad, lorry driver for 58 years, he's content. He's happy with what he's got. I don't think money money is a part of that algorithm, but it's not the biggest part of that equation. I think Mm -hmm. friends and family is probably the most important to anyone. And how long do you think it took you or when did you kind of settle on that as your state of mind and your your reason for being? Well, no, I, I, I don't think I am yet. I don't think I, I have contentment. All right, so no, you're not no, content. No, no but that, that's why, that's the goal. That's the one thing that I, I kind of, I would, I, I think I know when I would get there. Do you know what I mean? Right. But, um, so why are you not content then? When I moved to London, I read an article in uh, GQ magazine and it was by Ashton Kutcher, I think it was. And he did that thing where you write a list of 10 things you want to do before you're 40. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, it's good that. I'll, I'll do that as a kind of a let's set me goals type thing. And I've never been one for kind of uh, sitting back and thinking, right, I'm going to do this. I want to do that. But what it did, uh, moving to London and living, you know, in a in a one-bedroom flat with two other blokes, three of us in a one-bedroom flat in Peckham Wright, thinking this is going absolutely nowhere. I'm supposed to be in this glamorous, glitzy fashion world doing modelling. And I wasn't. You know, I was just racking up debt. It was kind of really monotonous, going out and drinking all the time, blah, 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 in the West End from Thursday to Sunday. Um, And then I thought, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write 10 things to do before I'm 40. And I've got two left. So that's why I think... 
my contentment won't be locked in because I've got two left. It's because you've set yourself that goal and you can't really, yeah. Set myself a goal. And I and I didn't realise at the time what I was doing because I didn't read into it. I didn't think, oh, this is... You won't tell us what the two are, the two that are left. No, 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 no. no. Because I, I don't think that... Because I think it's that butterfly effect. Once you mention it, yeah. other things happen that can stop you achieving your goal. You know, I don't... I think it is too late for you to play in the NFL. Well... <laughs> <you know> that, <laughs> Hey, do you know what? I put the pads back on at 36 thinking I had a chance. <laughs> um, oh, that's that's all fascinating. And actually, you just mentioned your flat in Peckham. So let's go back because when you were a woodcutter... Yeah, I worked in a DIY shop for my cousin, cutting fence panels. And you apparently just lived for the weekends. That was your life. You were waiting for your, 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 your wage so you could go and spend yeah, it at the weekends. Loved it. And you were scouted. It's a kind of great sliding doors moment. Somebody said, you're good looking. You should be a model, right? At that point, I mean, I imagine that's how it, how it went, was it? No? Well, I've got, I've got two photographs of that very day uh, when all that happened. And we basically went out to the clothes show live because they had a bar and it was where lots of girls hung out. My best friend, Luke, he was doing teacher training at the time. He had more time off than, than, than anyone. He said, like, come on, we're going to the clothes show on Friday. I was like, I can't, I've, got, I've got to go work. He went, no, 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 come, it's great. My sister's just come back. She said, it's absolutely awesome. Great fun. Loads of bargains for Christmas because clothes show was on, I think it was like 14th to 17th of December. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't have, I didn't have that much spare cash. So I thought, I'll go and get Christmas presents at the clothes show live. And, and we had such a laugh. And then at the end of the day, a guy called James Knoll, who was with Select Model Management, he came up to me and he said, oh, listen, you've got the look that we're looking for at the moment. It wasn't like you're good looking, blah, blah, blah. It was like the look. And I, I always thought I was like the fifth or sixth member of Oasis. So I had the long shaggy hair, top to toe in, in jigsaw clothing. <laughs> and just, we're just, we were just laughing. We, just, we were just giggling our way through the day. Um, and then that's that's kind of, yeah, my sliding doors moment. And that's where everything literally changed. That was on a Friday. And then the following Friday, I'd moved down to London and never went back. If you think about what life could have been like if you decided to stay at work that Friday and not go to the clothes show live. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put yourself back in Bolton? I have. And I do on a regular basis because I kind of think, where was that journey taking me? Because I was always kind mm. of quite laissez-faire at, at school. I always had a feeling, and I know this is a cliche and it goes back to what we've been talking about, but I always had a feeling that I wouldn't be a lorry driver like my dad or tapping keys. I knew that that wasn't the life for me and I knew that something would happen. And I, that's why I never really, I don't know, to my detriment, I guess, I never really knuckled down in, on my studies because I thought, I don't, this is, this is not what is happening to me. It was so bizarre. Like I thought, yeah, A-level French, never going to use it. Environmental science, never going to use it. Do you regret any of that? Because you're a curious man and you, you clearly have got a brain. Do you regret any of that, that you didn't take your studies a bit more seriously? Uh, yeah, no, because I had, a, I had the best time. I, I met great people at college. Um, and it, it, I think it was because the fact that I had this sixth sense that something weird would happen to me, something strange. Were people telling you this or was this totally inside your gut? No, it was just a feeling. It was just a feeling. And I thought that that feeling would take me to America. I thought, yeah, I'm going to go and work in the United States. And you did? I did eventually. But I think if at that period of time, you know, leaving sixth form, I think that feeling was because I wanted to go and work for my uncle in Seattle, who was a gardener. 
because I was big into Americana and this, that, and the other. I think that was the the, the kind of wave that was running through me, me veins. Um, but when the fashion thing happened, I still knew that that wasn't it. I thought, I'm going to do this because it's a diversion from cutting wood panels. But I still had this feeling that fashion isn't for me. It's, it's not the thing that I've been waiting for. And then the moment someone put a microphone in my hand, a light bulb illuminated above my head and it just went, this is it. This is it. And it felt really, I felt really warm inside. Uh, you were home. It was like, oh, finally, I know what it was. It's this. Uh, talking shite for a living. <laughs> out i'm excellent <laughs> yeah god i could talk a glass eye to sleep <laughs> everything fell into place because you know my, my mum and dad brought me up really well and i think everything accumulated to that moment to talking to people just chatting stay with me we'll be back after this Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, let's go on to parenting then, because you've got two teenagers. One's going to be flying the nest in the next year or so, and you're going to have empty nest syndrome. But how has your parenting then been influenced by what you clearly really admire your parents and what they did for you and how they grounded you and how hard they worked? How hard have you found that, you and Tess, to instill that in your girls, you know, in terms of not just watching what I do, but how do you explain to them without sounding lectury? Yeah, it's very difficult. I'll be honest with you, it's really difficult because the main thing is they go to school longer than most. You know, like Amber gets dropped off at eight and then she doesn't get home till five-ish and Phoebe's at sixth form at the moment and she leaves the house at seven, so she's up at six and she doesn't get back till, if she's driving, she doesn't get back till half past five. If she's on the bus, she doesn't get back till quarter past seven, half past seven. So it's difficult. And then they've got homework to do, so... At the moment, I'm trying to like, Phoebe, you need a part-time job. You need to learn how to work. Mm. You know, you need to you need to have a manager. You need to have a boss. You need to be spoken to. You need to be given instruction on how to do things, blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. But it's difficult at the moment. And I think from a parenting perspective, I think you've got to keep everything relative to who they are, you know, to their personalities. Uh, because our two are completely different. Amber's like the Dalai Lama. She's so laid back and relaxed and, you know, cutesy and... and, and like a little panda, I guess. And then Phoebe can be quite rock and roll, but then she's got these sensibilities where she really processes everything. So from a parenting perspective, you have to be quite aware of how she processes situations and how she deals with them. So mm. I think it's been a, a really exciting journey. Do you think your parents thought as much about parenting? No. Do you, our parents, no. No, I don't think they did because... Mm, just it happened. W- it was sim- well, yeah, it was because it was a lot easier then. It was like, right, you go to school. If you're bright enough, you go to sixth form. If you're bright enough, you go to university. If not, get a job. That was it. Get a job. And I could have always been a lorry driver, and that always sticks with me. My dad said, listen, don't worry about it. You can always come and drive for me. Um, So that was kind of a a, a fallback, I guess. 
Uh, we talk a lot on this podcast. Um, we have an equal number of women to men guests and, we, and the women quite often, being the age they are, start talking about things that are going on in midlife. You know how open Kenny is. He's talked about his prostate cancer recently and, and a lot of my guests talk about menopause and stuff like that. Do you have a, quite an open dialogue at home about all these changes that are going on? Are you aware of what happens to women at this age? Oh, God, I've hosted this morning. Of course I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Specialist subject, the menopause. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. I, th- I think we, but what I do think is great is that it was a, like a silent moment in a female's life that no one ever talked about. And mm. I'll tell you when I was, I was, I used to be a caretaker at a primary school. And the first time I was introduced to the menopause was one of the teachers had started taking HRT. And it was the big chat because this school was quite unique in that all the teachers were female and of a certain age. So the chat in the teacher's staff room was all about HRT. Oh, I'm on HRT. And I was like, what the heck is HRT? And I had the best headmistress, this more mature lady, who was a bit rock and roll. She's always smoking tabs. She was like <laughs> a stereotypical Roald Dahl headmistress. You know, she was really sweet, had a bit of an edge to her, bright red hair, dyed, uh, and smoking. Come on, kids, get it here. <laughs> Here we go, into class. Let's get in here. Well done. Uh, Vernon, we've had an accident in the hall. Can you clear it up? I'm like, oh, God, yes. No problem. Absolutely. Uh, So I said to her, because I really, really, really liked her. I was there for about 18 months, and we got on really well. Like She was so cool. And I said to her, excuse me, can I ask what HRT is? And she said, oh, it's hormone replacement treatment. I'm like, what's that? He said, oh, well, it's when a lady goes through a change, this, that, and the other, and a, a body all, you know, moves on to the next stage, blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, okay. So that was my first experience of the menopause in, in this staff room in this primary school in Bolton. And then subsequently, you realise uh, how it affects people, mm-hmm. you know, and know that we can talk about it, know that it's not a thing as such. And I think that's a good thing about, mm. you know, it sounds like at the beginning of the podcast, we were having a go and we, were, we sounded like the grumpy parents in the corner mm-hmm. talking about digital media taking over our lives. But I think things like this, the menopause, with a literally a, a huge influx. It's a revolution, really, isn't yeah, it, actually, in the last it, few it years? It really is, you know, and everyone's mm-hmm. talking about it. You know, the loose women, they've made a thing about it, which is great because they've mm-hmm. got a predominantly female audience. Mm-hmm. It's a thing on this morning, and I know because mm-hmm. I've been there. Uh, you know, Lisa Snowden. Oh, BBC is, Breakfast did a is, campaign five years ago. There's there the Menopause go. Matters group. There's, you know, yeah. obviously Davina's book and there's, yeah. there's number one in the charts. There's so much going on that it, you can not fail to miss it. Really, exactly. But I think, I think, uh, I think what's what's really interesting from a from a male perspective is that it's been going on and what, only now, <laughs> only now, are we actually talking about it, realizing that it affects people so differently. You know, mm-hmm. it's a big personal thing. But it affects everyone. And you live in a house, right, with two teenage girls and, you know, a woman who's over the age of 50, right? So you And a dog you... with no testicles. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you've got, you know, you've got kind of all, all kinds of things going on there. You're in a very female household, aren't you? So you have to know about this stuff. Oh, well, I've, I've always found myself in situation. I've never shied away from a situation. I did GCSE Spanish and I was the only lad in the class. And that was an education <laughs> at 14. All those senoritas. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. And I was the only uh, hermano. It was kind of, you know, periods were always being talked about. Girls getting measured for the bras for the first time was a thing. So I was in this environment where 
I was like, just taking in all this information. Because I, I, I didn't start puberty till 17 and a half. So I was still a baby at this age. But all these girls are growing up and they're mm-hmm. getting their periods and there's tampons lying around in the Spanish class and panty pads and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and I just, I just thought, well... Whilst I'm here, I may as well ask some questions. Well, you only had a brother at home as well, didn't you? So you yeah, you, and my dad's had... lorry driving down the road. And my mum, yeah. being a, a, a Roman Catholic, never talked about anything. Um, so you didn't get any sex education from them? None whatsoever, <laughs> no. Uh, it was literally birds and the bees. That's what sex education was in, in our Catholic school. Uh, no, actually, I'm lying. It's really funny. We did sex education from a scientific perspective. Right. You know, so you the picture, and, the picture of the ovaries where yeah. they look like a ram's head. That yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, and no one, no one tells you about erections and you know everything else that comes with it. It's just the sperm meets an egg. How? Oh. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, we know what happens, but why can't you tell us? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, why is it a secret? How does the sperm meet the egg? Whoa! So, wait so for a, wait education. for re for that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that is great yeah. about digital media. Is you can spread positive messages. And you well. can access information mm. very quickly and freely, which is fab. Well, it is time for me now, Vernon, to bring in our guest today, who is James Boardman. James is a, a life coach, but for men specifically who he feels or they feel they're in a rut. This wasn't directed at you, by the way, because um, you are certainly not in a rut. But it's why I'm interested in this is because of this kind of idea of the crisis of masculinity, which I think is something that he will talk about. So uh, let's bring in James. James, good to see you. Thank you very much for coming on The Midpoint. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Very good. Just did a brief introduction there, James, saying that you're, you work with men who feel they're in a rut. So tell us about the kinds of, of men who come to you and what it is that they're struggling with. One of the main things, I think, is that a, a guy gets to a certain point in his life and he's struggling to figure out what's next in his life. And one of the biggest things is there's a conflicting identity of who they are, what they want now. So for, for a lot of guys, they have kids, married, got the job. Mm-hmm. And it's almost a case of like, where do I go from here? What's next? How, how do I reinvent myself? How, how do I create some form of passion, desire? And for a lot of guys, they slump into that rut, which makes them feel quite hollow about where they're going to go. And for a lot of guys, that causes mental health issues, emotional health issues as well. And they tend to disconnect from life completely, which is obviously what we're seeing quite a lot at the minute. From what you're describing, what they've done in their lives, are we talking men in their kind of mid to late 40s, 50s? Yeah, I, I would say, so I think the range for the guys that come through, there's anywhere between 35 and 50. But I think more than ever, that actually, there's an element of this in younger men as well. So I would say mid-20s going on. And I feel that there's a lot of them that are lost on knowing actually what they want in life and self-pressure through careers and running businesses and relationships. So more and more younger men are coming through with those issues and dilemmas. And I just talked about this concept, the crisis of masculinity. Is this what we're talking about then, do you feel? Yeah, I think we are slowly getting rid of an old way of thinking and trying to evolve into a new way of thinking and what men think is acceptable and isn't acceptable in terms of masculinity and being comfortable with being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. being able to cry, being open. Whereas one of the things I try to portray is a lot of the struggles I had coming out of the military and try to be quite honest with that. Mm. And I think if other men see other men being vulnerable and open and, and, and displaying those emotions, it really encourages other guys to go, why aren't, why am I not doing this? I, I would, 
question that most men's wives don't know what they're going through because they're too embarrassed to open up or they don't know where to start opening up. Mm -hmm. And having worked with a lot of men, it, it, it's quite common. They just bottle it in. Can I, can I ask a question, James, just quickly? Uh, what is masculinity? It's a really good question. I've been asked this many a time. So I think masculinity is individual-based. For me, it's about understanding your own emotions and how you feel and being able to portray that individually rather than comparing yourself. So, for example, social media is huge at the minute, and I think it, masculinity becomes conflicted when we start seeing lots of other different male figures and actually how they portray to us on the front edge. Many people, what we don't see is what happens behind the cameras, behind the footage, behind the video. We talked a lot about this actually earlier on the podcast. So it's, it's brilliant that you brought it back round actually specifically to this area because actually a lot of people worry about young girls seeing you know images that lead to eating disorders and ideas of perfection. But this is, I think, the crisis of masculinity that men are as affected and perhaps it's not as easy for men to acknowledge that they're as affected, it, it, whereas girls maybe find it easier to have those conversations. I think so. I think, I think you, there was a key word in there you said, and it's acceptance. So it's accepting that, it, that it's okay to be vulnerable. There are days when we wake up and we feel very hollow and we don't feel like we're on top of our game. It, that's okay. One bad day mm. doesn't mean one bad life, one bad month, one bad week. You know, it just means that we're having a bad day and acknowledging that it's okay to have a bad day and, and accept those emotions that we're going through, understand them as well, I think is another key thing. Sorry to interrupt, James, do, but do you think that society no longer allows a male to be a bloke? I think the actual title of bloke being a man is actually for many men confusing as it is. Many men don't know how, how am I supposed to be today, I think. Can I just go ask Vern, Vernon what you said there, Vernon, which prompted the answer from James about a bloke being a bloke, I think is, is what yeah. you said. What, do, what yeah. do you perceive that bloke? What's a, what for you is a bloke? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, can, can males be a bloke? Can, can we be, you know, a bit raucous, a bit obnoxious? Can we sit down in the pub these days and, and just have a conversation amongst ourselves without it offending anyone? That kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not talking about bad stuff. I'm just saying blokes sat around a table having a few beers, you know. So I think when you look at men, there is a huge category of different types of men. Like we, we, we there are, we all kind of fit into some sort of spectrum some way there are the lads that love to go down the pub get on it like that's one particular type of lifestyle there are lads who love to be dedicated to their family and they spend all their time with family and i think what's really important for i think any guy to understand is that being an individual individual and authentic is absolutely key to understanding who you are as a human being um and i think that when you are authentic and honest with yourself about what you want out of your life and you follow through with that I think what you what you get is a true identity and contentment. And I think every man, every man is not necessarily looking for happiness, but he's looking for to be content. And whether that's whether they want to drink in a pub or whether they want to go out with their family or whether they want to travel the world, it's what it comes back to. 
Vernon's smiling <laughs> and and kind of high-fiving himself because uh, we talked about contentment a lot as well. And James, you haven't been sat listening to the whole of this podcast, so it's quite it's quite incredible actually the the, the synergistic nature of your of your chat because it really does bleed into everything that we we've talked about earlier on. So, but I, th- I think I think the more like going back to what you said, James. I mean, you know, I have this ridiculous, almost embarrassing admiration for the Royal Marines, and I think. Uh, watching what they go through for that Green Beret, that coveted Green Beret, and how important it is and what it means. You're 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 taken to Limpston, you're drained of everything that you are aware of, and then they rebuild you to be a machine, you know, a, a war machine, and that's what the Royal Marines are. So I guess your journey of masculinity is like you've climbed Everest and you've conquered that, and then you've got to step back once you're out of the core and say, right, well, who am I now? Because you've built me to be this this mm. weapon of war and now I'm in society mm. what do I do where is... I've got to become a caring father and yeah uh... <laughs> where is my personal masculinity instead of you know uh I don't know whether I I, I apologize James I don't know whether you served in Afghanistan and you know yeah, we hear yeah. well there you go you served and you know what went on in Afghanistan you've had first-hand experience of that but hang on a minute you're doing your shopping in Tesco's two years later and Sainsbury's so you know, it's that's what I, 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 and then there's also the guy Vernon who watches those documentaries about the Green Berets, right? Who sat at home thinking, "Well, I'm not that kind of bloke." Exactly. So, what kind of bloke am I? You know? Exactly. And and I think yeah. it, it is, it is a very confusing space, isn't it? So I think there are some people who, the reason I joined the Royal Marines because I was lost and like I, you know, I watched a film Black Hawk Down, looked at that, and my mentality was watching the war scenes going. I want, that's what I want to do. Like I was 23 years old. When I left the Royal Marines um, and I left to be a dad and wanting to be home with the kids for three years, I hit the worst three years of my life. And and that was because I didn't know where I fitted in, in society, like, like exactly what you were both talking about there in terms of where do I fit in now? Like, you know, and it, and it, it took me to the brink of suicide wow. to, to, to that point. And I had no purpose, had no drive. I didn't know who I was. I was Sergeant James Boardman in a world that Sergeant James Boardman no longer belonged. It wasn't needed. It wasn't needed. And I found my purpose through entrepreneurship and I've just evolved into where we are right now. And I think all of us are on our own individual personal mission, whether we're a male or whether we're a female. One of the things that we each one of us needs is a is a meaningful purposeful a why a why yeah so at the end of the day each one of us is entitled to have a north star to achieve yeah and if we can have that emotional connection to understanding why we want that so for me it's to make an impact on men so like if i can do that by making them mentally emotionally stronger helping them have control measures in terms of fitting in society being comfortable in society managing their time their energy their focus having a meaningful purpose like that drives them, that makes them wake up every day and go, I just don't feel like it, but remember the bigger picture, It's then, then I don't think it matters if you're a man or woman. James, it's been fascinating and brilliant having you on, an absolutely perfect guest for, for this podcast, and I think we'll have to have you on again sometime. Thank you so much, James. Thank you, appreciate it.
Oh, that was really interesting, wasn't it? How so much of what James was talking about is tied into what we've talked about today. Yeah, awesome. But it has been, it has been really great chatting to you, Vern. I knew it would be. We haven't even discussed, and I really, we are going to do this very quickly, because I know you've got to go off and be in panto. Um, <laughs> but um, we are going to discuss very quickly. We did oh, no, I'm not. Splash together. Hey, uh, we did this show. It's behind you. Uh, we did this show, Splash together, two seasons of it. And because yeah. um, I wanted to talk to you about the physical side of getting older, because you've kind of you've got fitter as you've got older. I think haven't you You've got more into fitness? I have, as you yeah. Older. Yeah. And yeah. You, your obsession when you were younger was with putting on weight because you couldn't retain any weight because you had this kind of overactive metabolism almost and very yeah, it was crazy. And uh, we did this show, Splash, and it was very hot in the swimming pool where we had to film. And you you were worried about looking sweaty on the telly. And I'll never forget, you you dressed yourself in sanitary pads underneath your shirt to try and absorb <laughs> the sweat. And we went back into our trailers afterwards and you were gutted because on Twitter, somebody had accused you of looking like you were fat because of these sanitary yeah. pads. And you, I've spent all my life trying to look bigger. And now... <laughs> now I'm getting grief for being fat. <laughs> and it was it was so funny, obviously, to wear sanitary pads. I think you wore it for a few weeks, didn't you? A little vest. Yeah, I, I had I made a I made a t-shirt which went under my shirt, which was <laughs> was literally on the underarm area was just uh, carefree or you know body Bye, form. Mom. Yeah, under my arms to stop me sweating because even though it's a natural human thing to do when you're in a, a swimming pool that's 48 degrees, it doesn't look great on telly. And and there's the stigma around, oh, you look sweaty. It's like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good, my and? pores work. <laughs> exactly. It's like... I'm excreting toxins. It's yeah, great. <laughs> it, it's so bizarre how as a society, like things, natural things, like... We go back to the menopause. You know, we're doing we're going we're doing circles on this podcast. You know, oh, it's really difficult to talk about something that happens to us all. You know, we all sweat, but yet it's so frowned upon when you see someone on telly with a sweat patch. I'm like, <laughs> why? It's crazy. I usually ask my guests at the end something along the lines of whether they're hopeful, happy, or content. But you've already told me you're eighty percent content. Yeah, eighty. Yeah, eighty percent content. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I, I think I'm content because I've, I've never, I've not been given any of this. I've worked for it from from the moment I, I, I was running five jobs at fourteen, because my mum and dad said, look, you got to go and get a job this summer holidays. You know, your dad's grafting, mum was working. I think you're drawn to people like that as well, aren't you? Yeah, you definitely. People like like that. having someone who's a former Royal Marine, I, I can't tell you, Gabby, I love the Royal Marines. I've been to Limpston several times and every time you walk in there you feel inspired and every time you walk out of there you feel like you could run through a brick wall because they they're just what they do is amazing it's absolutely unbelievable I know yeah um and and it's all because of work ethic yeah you know it's all about that focus that commitment that dedication of wanting something and going about how you're going to achieve it and as james said as well having a reason why i think that's so important yeah. and emotional Huge. connection with what you're doing so yeah and then going back to contentment you know like what you said it and it's really uh, really got me thinking yes you can be content mm -hmm. you know what i mean of course yeah. you can because i think oh this sounds really really soppy but as long as you're feeling that love and affection for those close to you, nothing else matters. Nothing genuinely matters. Beautiful way to end. Thank you, Vernon. I'm on at the Wickham Swan from the 9th to the 31st <laughs> of December. I'm playing Dan Dini in Cinderella. Excellent. <laughs> 
Thank you so much to Vernon. Candid, open, funny, and he is genuinely in Panto at the Wickham Swan. So buy your tickets right now. And thank you to James Boardman. He's an ex-Royal Marine. And the way he talks about helping men to find out how they can get out of a rut, encouraging them to be more open and vulnerable, which will all lead to, hopefully, a new kind of definition of masculinity, which encompasses all of that. And finding meaningful purpose seems to make a lot of sense. Thank you to Rethink Audio for producing. And of course, to you, as always, for listening. I'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.